Hey everyone, this is Taylor Halverson from Book of Mormon Central. We've had a lot of requests to add our weekly Come Follow Me videos with myself and Tyler Griffin to our podcast. We are very excited to do this. However, just know that we use a lot of visuals in our videos. So if you ever want to see the visuals, check out Book of Mormon Central on YouTube. We hope you enjoy. I'm Kiplin. And I'm Tyler. And this is Book of Mormon Central's Come Follow Me Insights. Today, the second portion of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. So now as we jump to Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, it says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. It's a powerful concept. It is. Um, I remember we were, our family was uh, visiting Grandma Artie a little while back. Um, some of you might know her as Ardith Gcap, um, and we have adopted her uh, completely <laughs> and fully. Uh, our children have adopted her as Grandma Artie. And anyway, we were at her home, and she gave the children these rocks that she keeps in a basket by her door to, to give out. Rocks that had been made um, to say a scripture on them, Helaman 512. Yeah. Our kids got pretty excited about that. Uh, number one, rocks are just cool. But the the scripture on it, she she asked them, do you know what scripture this is? And then she had them quote it or say it the best they could. And then she challenged them to memorize that scripture. And that scripture has special significance to our family because it is one of our family's oh, theme scriptures that we've chosen. And the song uh, that is is connected with that, how firm a foundation. The scripture talks about uh, the rock of our Redeemer and how when we build upon that rock, all the winds and, the, and the, the fiery darts and the things of the adversary, they will have no power to drag us down um, to hell and, and they will, that we will stand because we're built upon the rock um, of our Redeemer. Grandma Artie, throughout her long and and beautiful and amazing life has figured out this truth that those who put their trust in God will be filled with light and hope and knowledge and wisdom and guidance and revelation. Um, and that's how she's lived her life. And in, in the true spirit of Proverbs, like we've been talking about this, this idea of, of generations before who have walked the good path they've they've made covenants with god they've seen a lot they've experienced a lot and they pass on their wisdom to the children to the younger generation so that they can have those those treasures of knowledge to guide them on their path in this true spirit of, of proverbs and passing things on grandma Artie shared with with the children um, this this truth as we were there with her and and other truths that we talked about blessings really do come when on both sides when we turn to those who are seasoned and 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 have seen a lot of the world and we ask them for their wisdom and in turn when those who are in those positions of, of um, having having lived a long time in the world and learned some things pass those things on to us beautiful blessings come in both directions. And Sister Cap, uh, Grandma Artie, she served as the young woman's general president when you were a young woman up in I Canada. tell her she helped raise me. 
she, so and I'm she, one of her girls. <laughs> she put into place so many incredible things, or rather the Lord put into place so many incredible things through her that have blessed generations of, of young women and families in the church. And isn't it an, a beautiful thing that the Lord picks in our day today, leaders to guide the work that aren't tossed about by every wind of doctrine that blows. They, they have that, what you've described here with Grandma Artie, that spirit of, of wisdom that comes with multiple life experiences, having weathered many storms and having proved God's goodness and his mercy and his grace through countless experiences, that those are the people that the Lord has guiding us in these latter days moving forward collectively as a church. I like that principle. People that are built upon the rock of their Redeemer. One of the amazing things about sitting at the feet of wise people who, who like we said, have, have experienced so much of life and of the Lord is how you feel when you walk away from interactions with them. Yeah, I, I always walk away from my interactions with Grandma Artie feeling light and hope and like things are going to be okay. Things are wonderful. Life is beautiful. Um, and I love that about spending time with her and with, with others. I mentioned my mother um, and, and people like that in my life that when I walk away from interactions with them, I feel the, the weight and power of their of their wisdom and their stability. I, I feel the stabilizing influence of their, um, of their faith and their trust and their knowledge gained over years of experience um, and, and trusting the Lord, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, that that, that um, concept that they have, they have taken and incorporated and, and made a living thing in their life, um, it is beautiful. So now we turn to the last chapter of Proverbs, chapter 31. In the King James Version of the Bible here in English, you'll notice it starts in verse 10 with this phrase, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. And then for the next, uh, for, for those last 22 verses, it's talking about this virtuous woman. So a fun fact with these last 22 verses, the way this, this entire book of, of Proverbs ends is quite creative, but we don't get to see it in the English version of our scriptures. In the Hebrew, this is what you call an acrostic form or an acronym where verse 10 starts in the Hebrew Bible with the first word, begins with Aleph, or A. The second verse starts with Bet, or B, and it goes all the way down through the Hebrew alphabet. Every verse, these last 22 verses, starts with A through their last letter. So it's just, it's kind of fun to see that the, the writer of this wisdom literature wanted to take the extra effort in order to make it beautiful to the reader to end this book talking about who can find a virtuous woman. Now there's a lot in this passage. It's it's really kind of fun. I was I was looking up the word virtue just in the in Strong's uh, mm -hmm. concordance. The word is chayil. 
it's it's a word that is found uh, quite a few times in the King James version of the of the Bible, and it's it's translated into a lot of different words. So in this case, it's translated into the word virtue, but in other cases, uh, I'll just read some of them that is translated into the word army in some cases, or valor, or host, or forces, um, valiant, strength, riches, wealth, power, substance, might. Um, and, and some other things, but it was really kind of cool to read about that and to and to think, uh, what is a woman of virtue, a woman of of strength and might and power and and, and riches of God, um, all of these these beautiful imageries that that we can see with those words, um, and and I was thinking, you know, all of those qualifiers, you know, strength, power, might, uh, wealth would have to be uh, finished with in Christ. You couldn't just have those things. I mean, the devil can have strength and might and power and armies and force and stuff. Um, and he's certainly not virtuous. But when you have strength in Christ and power in Christ and wisdom in Christ and wealth in Christ and uh, all these things are rooted in Christ, well, now we have true virtue. So. Um, Moving on from there, it, it was just really fun to read through this passage and, and look at all the action words. I mean, there are so many. I, I'm just going to read them off. We're just going to read them off. She seeketh, she worketh, she riseth, giveth, bringeth, considereth, buyeth, planteth, girdeth, strengtheneth, perceiveth, layeth. I like that one. Maybe we get a rest there. <laughs> uh, stretcheth, stretcheth, reacheth. She is not afraid. She maketh, she selleth she delivereth. It's a tongue twister. <laughs> she openeth her mouth with wisdom. She looketh, she eateth, she feareth the Lord. Um, fear again in the concept of covenantal loyalty to him. Wow, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> I read through that and I was like, that's that's a lot of work. And I, I love that concept that uh, being a woman of virtue and, and guys being a person, a, a man of virtue, it's, it's going to take work. It's going to take effort. Um, developing that covenantal connection with Christ that we talked about, it, it takes effort. President Nelson's talked about how the Lord loves effort. And uh, the reason he loves it, I think, is because there's so much growth and development that comes. Those muscles that we use in, in our efforts, um, those muscles grow and become stronger and stronger as we make those efforts. And, and he wants us to be strong in Christ. And so um, virtuous living takes effort. The other thing it takes is agency, hmm. choice. You know, all these, all these things that this gal's doing, I mean, she's, she's doing a lot, uh, <laughs> but it's, it, she's choosing to do this, this stuff. You know, she's, it, it takes agency to live a virtuous life. The particulars of what's in this passage that make up a virtuous woman will be different for us today than, than the metaphors they used back then and, and the sayings they used with, with the people in, in this time period. Um, so what does make up a virtuous woman? I mean, shall we make a list on the board of, of, of uh, 20, 22, a virtuous woman is, and then we'll list them down? I think not, <laughs> because the, the, the fact of the matter is, um, I can't give you a list, because your list is going to be found in your patriarchal blessing. It's going to be found while you're on your knees. 
It's going to be found in the scriptures. It's going to be found while you're listening to general conference. It's going to be found while you're participating in the happy chaos that is your home and, and things come to you. Your list of things that make up a virtuous woman um, are going to be different than this gal's here in Proverbs. It's going to be a little different from mine. Um, but the common thread underlying it all will be your identity as a daughter of God and the inherited and inherent power and strength and glory and beauty that comes with that identity. Um, and then your specifics are going to be different. I, I have a sister that has a texting ministry. I mean, she literally does a texting ministry. She is better than anyone I have ever met at spreading those, those healing, healing, healing words, words, healing emojis. Yes, but, but it's beautiful. I mean, my brother, Aiden, that I was talking about, he's got a cinnamon roll ministry. I know, I don't know how many hundreds of cinnamon rolls he's made over the past and sent out, but, but each of us have been given different gifts and talents. I do not do very well with texting and emailing and phone calling and keeping in touch with people that way. Um, Emily, she is masterful at it. And so our job as daughters of God is not to look around at all, all the people around us and say, oh, they do that really well and they do that really well. And, they, and I've got to do all those things to be this, this woman of God, this, this, this woman of virtue and power and strength and, and wonderfulness. My job is to go to the Lord and, and to those sources that he's provided me with and say, what gifts has God given me personally that he wants me to use in his behalf, that he wants me to use to lift and bless and strengthen and help and bring beauty to the lives of those around me. And as we become comfortable with ourselves and comfortable trusting the Lord to guide our efforts, as, as only we can effort. Can I use that as a verb? <laughs> I'm going to effort. Um, but as we trust him to guide our, our efforts and our particular gifts and talents and skill set that he has given us, he will, he will expand and magnify uh, our, our influence and our... Um, contributions to the world and to those around us. Another thing I thought about, because they mention in the beginning of this passage that a virtuous woman's worth is far above rubies. And I got thinking about this word worth, and I also got thinking about rubies. And I don't know how this all happened in my mind, but the image that came to me was that of the Savior in Gethsemane. And those ruby drops of blood that were shed for me, for all of us. And, and this idea that my worth as a daughter of God is not dependent on what I choose to do with my agency uh, and what I choose not to do. It's not dependent on the labels that I put on myself or that the world puts on me. It is not dependent on my righteousness or my, my unfaithfulness to God. My worth has been secured long before I even came to this earth. And it has been purchased. My soul has been purchased by his precious blood. 
And now I get to choose, do I use my agency, my power, my force, my might, my wealth, my everything that I am and have, do I use that to, to follow the Son of God, to, to further His work and His glory, to help Him in His work, to bless the lives of those around me? Or do I use it for selfish means to do what I want to do and what I think is going to make me happy? Do I leave him out of that equation or do I see him bleeding for me and think, I will give you everything I am and have. You have already paid for my soul. You have purchased me with your blood and I will give my all to help you in your work. Amazing miracles occur when the sons and daughters of God stand side by side together in in power in capacity in goodness in faith in light in hope um, and when we work together as a team the lord can do amazing things by virtue of his virtue not our own and that virtue flows from him through us allowing these beautiful good things to enter the world well said and what a privilege it's been to, to get to share this episode with my sweetheart as we've talked about these amazing proverbs, these, these true principles uh, that have made such a difference in the world for so many years. So as we get to the end of our discussion of proverbs, we get ready to talk about Ecclesiastes. I'd like to share some personal perspectives, some thoughts I have about some possible connections with the proverbial literature and the themes that go on in Proverbs and Nephi in the Book of Mormon. Now you'll notice, as we've been talking about, a wise person listens to an inspired leader or parent and takes the time to document those wise sayings, live them, and to transmit or teach those wise sayings to others. We see Nephi doing that, whereas Laman and Lemuel seem to be the fools who don't understand the wise sayings from the father and don't know how to live them. They pair also to not be paying attention to their wise mother. So there's some interesting connections here that Nephi seems to be a bit of a wise man. And there's some tantalizing details. For example, in the ancient world, wisdom literature, particularly Proverbs, were often used uh, in schools to teach people how to write. So years ago when I was a graduate student, uh, I had in my hand an ancient tablet it was a schoolboy's tablet, and on one side was beautiful written cuneiform, an ancient uh, written language. And it was a, pr a proverbial statement. It was like one of these wise sayings. If you turn it over, this clay tablet, it's really messy writing. And what had happened is the teacher had written out this proverbial statement and then wanted the student to practice writing. Now think about how kids look like when they're five or six or seven, learning to write the alphabet. It looks messy. So we had this scribal tablet from thousands of years ago where a student learning how to write was practicing, not very good at it, but not only is he learning a technical skill of writing, he's also encountering and experiencing the wisdom of his culture. Very powerful. Now pay attention to this detail. Nephi knows how to write. So he may have gone to one of these scribal schools where they may have used as the curriculum lots of these wise sayings that he'd have to copy out. And I'd encourage you, when you read First Nephi, you might find it instructive to look at Nephi as a wise man 
and look at the themes of Proverbs. I'd say particularly verses, chapters 1 through 9, what themes do you see playing out there? Even if you grab half a dozen themes, go back and look at 1 Nephi, that whole book. And where do you see themes of wisdom coming out? And then ultimately, what does this teach us about how we can be wise, like Nephi, to be aligned with God and to be more fully in his presence? So that might be a fun little learning exercise, but ultimately it just builds my testimony of the Book of Mormon that Nephi seems to fit very well his ancient context as a writer and as a wise man based on what we know about how the Old Testament functions. So now as we turn our attention to the book of Ecclesiastes, it to me, it, it feels like it's a lot more of what you might classify as a reality check, where the preacher here is basically saying, hey, I, I've tried to apply some of these Proverbs and it's not quite working out the way I had thought it should work out. It's not meeting my expectations. And there's kind of this, this moment that comes up multiple times where it acknowledges, acknowledges the messiness of mortality, the muddiness of trying to move forward in life as an individual or as a family or as a ward or in any of our relationships. You'll notice here in chapter 1, it opens up verse 3. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he, hath take, which he taketh under the sun? It's, it's kind of saying, what's the use of trying because all these bad things are still happening to me? And you'll notice he says, one generation passeth away and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. And then he talks about the sun in verse 5, the wind in verse 6, the rivers in verse 7, and all things are full of labor. And then you jump down to the bottom of verse 9 and he says, there is no new thing under the sun. <laughs> saying, it's these cycles and, and life is hard. It's messy. It's muddy. And then you jump into chapter 2, verse 11. He says, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Now, you could probably say this, he's being quite pessimistic at this point. And others might listen to this or read this passage or these chapters and say, well, he's being realistic somewhere in that range. There are powerful principles in this book. Watch what he says, verse 18. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that should shall be after me. Are you noticing the personal pronoun use here? It's all these things that I did, they're going to be left to somebody after me. But you'll notice what happens when you let the Lord shape your life. When you, you turn yourself over to him and say, here I am, shape me, mold me, guide me. That work doesn't get left behind at death. But the things that I've, that, that I've built myself, yeah, they're all going to get left. So it, it's a little reality check here for us to, to make sure that we're doing things that will remain uh, done in the next life, so to speak, that don't have to die or be left behind. And then you come to my favorite chapter in Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, where he says, To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under heaven. Now we come to the, the beautiful poetic form that begins in verse 2. 
where he gives you this long list of things. There's a time to be born and a time to die. You'll notice the, the struggle that many of us have faced in mortality, having to let go of a loved one, and it hurts so deeply and leaves so much pain and heartache behind when somebody has to pass on. The message here is, just like there was a time to be born, there is a time for all of us to die. It is part of Heavenly Father's plan. Doesn't mean that it's pleasant. Doesn't mean that we have to love it. Doesn't mean that we have to feel great about saying goodbye to loved ones. It just means that as we're working through those grieving processes, that we acknowledge the fact that, yeah, this is part of, of the Lord's plan for our salvation and our happiness. And he says here, a time to weep and a time to mourn. Um, those, those experiences are sacred um, and, and they can be quite tender. Um, but don't you think inherent in a time to die and a time to mourn and a time to weep is this concept that in God's time, there is a time to be reunited, a time for reunion, a time for joy, time for laughing again with those loved ones. I think that's beautiful. It's kind of a part yeah. of the message of this is they don't list everything that there could possibly be a time for, but going back to the messages of Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. He holds our eternity and our loved one's eternity in his almighty hands. There is a time appointed for these things and he will fulfill all of those things um, if we trust him and, and stick with him. And isn't it amazing that in all of these cases, you're getting opposites, these couplets, these, these uh, words that are put together that are seeming opposites. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant, a time to pluck up. A time to kill, a time to heal. Break down, build up. Weep, laugh, mourn, dance. Cast away stones, gather stones. There's a time to embrace. There's a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to get and a time to lose. It, it just keeps going. It's to show that mortality is going to have ups and downs, twists and turns, and some, some predictable stuff and some not predictable stuff. And again, as, as you said, Kiplin, it's do I really trust that God knows what he's doing or do I want complete control over all of these things? And now if you look down at verse 11, after he's finished all of this long list, he says, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I love that idea that even if you learn everything you could possibly learn in this life, you're still not going to know the beginning to the end of all that God has done and all that God is doing with us. It's a powerful concept. And part of this idea of seasons and cycles is <clears throat> I have found that I am most happy <laughs> when, when I embrace the idea of timing, um, especially seasons in my life and timing of the Lord. And when instead of being frustrated because I, as Elder Faust once said, I can't sing all the verses of my song at the same time, um, instead of being frustrated by that, saying, you know what, I'm doing verse one. And it's beautiful. 
and I'm listening to the music and the words and verse two will come. And then when I sing that verse, I will, I will enjoy the harmony and the beauty of that verse. Chapter four, verse nine and 10 contains a very, very profound uh, concept, uh, very much like the Proverbs here in Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Lots of ways to apply these these principles here. Okay, yeah. I, I was thinking as I was reading this, it goes on to say that um, <clears throat> that it's better to have two as well. For if one prevaileth against him, two shall withstand him. This idea of strength in numbers as well. And I got thinking about families where... Every one of us is part of a family. Um, we we all have family, and, and God placed us here in families because this is true. Two are better than one. Um, and we're not meant to make this journey by ourselves. That was that was never the plan to come down alone and 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 be one. Um, and so um, I had a little experience with Brennan again our little 10-year-old, and this also involves our little six-year-old, Merritt. But they had received some um, Easter candy, a little packet of little pastel treats of some kind um, from their primary class at, at, on Sunday. And in the shuffle of, of packing up and getting ready to leave, Merritt lost his treats somewhere. Uh, he couldn't find them and he was he was quite distressed. He was looking every mommy, have you seen my treats? And siblings, have you seen my treats? Anyway, through throughout through all of this, Brennan, I noticed out of the corner of my eye, he popped his little jacket open and he reached in and he pulled something out. And the next thing I knew it, he was stuffing his treats into Merritt's pocket. And he said, Here, Merritt, you can have mine. You can hold mine until you find yours. And I was just like, oh, that's so sweet. But then I got thinking about us in, in life. This two is better than one idea. Um, on our journey of life, whether it be siblings or friends or parents or children or, or other people that, that we have in our lives, how many times has someone said to you here, you can hold mine until you find yours, whether that be here. You can hold my faith until you find yours. Here, you can hold my hope until you find yours. Or here, you can hold on to my love until you find yours for yourself. Um, anyway, I, I think that's a beautiful idea, concept that two, three, four families, uh, each other, are better than doing this alone. Um, another application for that would be a marriage. Um, Absolutely. And in a marriage, whether whether that opportunity comes here or whether it comes uh, in the next life, there is a, a beauty that comes with combining two into one, and it is uh, there is there's a strength when you um, when you weave those two fabrics together that becomes stronger than the individual. I am stronger with you than by myself. 
um, and you are stronger are with stronger. me than than by yourself. And Absolutely. so this this two is better than one. And and you know, in a marriage, <laughs> we know each other's weaknesses and frailties and struggles better than anyone. And 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 what what better application for this scripture that that when one fall someone is there to lift them and, and vice versa. And you, you do a lot of that in a marriage, I feel like, and, and just helping each other along, along the way. Um, we've often talked about marriage as a garden. You know, the analogy, it's, it can be messy and it can be muddy sometimes out in the garden and the weeds, you know, you just get finished with the peas over here and then you, you turn around and oh my goodness, the beans or there's earwigs in the corn again, you know, and, 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 and it's, it takes effort again and work to, to have that version of, of two are better than one, um, become beautiful and fruitful, but with the sun, the son of God and, and the living water, the rain that, that, that come to that marriage garden. Um, it can, it can be bountiful and, and fruitful. Yeah. And if you jump over to chapter nine, verse nine, it says on that note, live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life. Um, I think that's a powerful concept of find joy in that journey. I, I can only speak for us that, you know, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of energy and effort in this garden of marriage to produce uh, the, the fruits and the vegetables and to pull the weeds that seem to keep cropping up over and over again in certain places and new weeds in, in new places at times. But it's so worth it when you have that marriage connected with the Lord when he's a part of that process. When you recognize there's nothing we're doing in a garden that's going to produce fruit without the Lord's help, without the sun. It's a powerful uh, motivator to keep working at it. Even though it's hot at times, it's dirty at times, it's cold at other times, it doesn't seem very productive or fruitful at other times. We just keep at it, keep working at yeah. it. Things things will grow. And the 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 other application I was thinking about with this two is better than one idea is um, our relationship with the Savior. Two is better than one. We all have two. Whether we feel like we're alone, we might feel like I'm I'm all alone. I, for whatever reason, I don't have these people around me to help you help me. You do have the Savior. You always have the Savior. Two is better than one on this covenant path journey. In fact, we can't make it. We can't make it as one. And so in, in that relationship, he will lift us when we fall. He will be there in our battles to fight with us and for us. Um, and, and it's a beautiful, a beautiful concept to me of two is better than one, us and the Savior. Absolutely. Now we, we turn over to the very last chapter of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, a couple of verses here, verse 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Powerful concept of uh, the reality that death is not the end. Our spirits will return to the God who gave us life to await that resurrection when we can 
be reunited, not just with our, our bodies and our spirits, but with our loved ones and with the God who gave us life. And now we end with verse 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. So as we end this wisdom literature, this is the conclusion of the whole matter. This is the ultimate, thus we see. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. I love the, the phrasing in the last verse, for God shall bring. Um, he is the bringer of salvation. Yes, he's the bringer of justice and judgment, but, but he brings salvation and he brings hope and he brings life and he brings goodness and joy. And um, he, he keeps his promises. I think that's kind of what this is saying. It's saying, obey God, follow God, trust God, and he will keep his promises. He will bring salvation to your soul. Um, I love that. It's powerful. So as we come to the close of this episode, it's, it's our testimony that regardless of the struggles, regardless of the opposition and the trials and the adversity and the weakness that we experience, both internally and externally, that God is in his heavens and he is trustworthy and he is faithful and we can put all of our trust and all of our faith and all of our hope in him and recognize the fact that he not only holds us in his hands, but he holds us in his heart because of that infinite love that he has for us. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. I feel like that is the beautiful overarching truth that we, that we have read about um, today and talked about is, is the idea that we can trust God. He loves us. He knows us. We can trust him. We can safely put our trust in him and he shall direct our paths, our souls, um, our life for good. And we leave that testimony with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Know that you're loved. Thank you.